You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Terry Riley, which is part one of the sermon series, This is Family. For more info, please visit creekside.org. I'm excited this morning. Uh, We're launching our series, This is Family. Is anyone else excited for this one? Super excited for family. I have a huge family, so I'm real excited to to hear what God's going to do for us here in family at Creekside. So as we get started, would you please take a look at the screens? Please, Kevin, let's hear it, right? What are you harboring? Because God knows I would really love to hear this. You always got special treatment. Because I'm black? No, because you're black and you're adopted. Oh, yeah. Hit the jackpot with that combination. Couldn't have had it any easier. In our house, you did. With our mother, you did. All right. Okay, here we go. Why can't you just admit it, man? Admit what? Just admit that you are more important to her. And that she wanted to make sure that you felt special every single minute of every single day so that you wouldn't feel like the odd man out. Gee, Kevin, I wonder why she was worried about me feeling that. What does that mean? Just go back to your hotel. No. No, hold on. Randall, hold on. No, what does that mean? It means you treated me like a dog. Just like a dog, I kept coming back again and again, just hoping for a scrap from you, like a crumb of affection, kindness, respect. Respect? You wanted my respect? Yeah. Yeah, okay, no, you wanted to show me up, Randall, which is what you did every single chance you got. No, just showed me up. I'm done with this conversation. Don't this conversation. Any other family, I would have been the star. You know what, bro? You're no star. That is a star. Push my body. Don't touch me. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Oh my God. Don't put both your hands on my body. Jack! Is that the man? Ow! What face, Kevin! Hey, Kevin! You alright, man? Do you want me to call someone? Oh. Oh, it's, uh, no. My brother. Oh. Hey, man. That's that bars. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, let's go. Yeah. Don't you love family? Since none and nobody here needs any help with it, based on your response. Too late. (laughs) The damage has been done. Hey, um, there's a thing on your um, table. I was going to have you do this during service. But would you take this, grab this, take it home, and fill it out and bring it back next week? Uh, As you, uh, We talked about this on a couple of other occasions, but we're trying to do some just evaluative things and seeing where the Lord wants us to kind of focus and do some things. But would you um, uh, do this as a family? And if there's, uh, you know, if it's for a male and a female, put the two ages. Uh, would you do that for me? And this is really helpful information. I know sometimes you think, well, what's it do? It does a lot uh, because we're really trying to hear the voice of the Lord for a lot of things. So if you would do that and bring it back next Sunday or send it, that would be an incredible uh, uh, help. And if you forget, we're going to do it again next Sunday just to try and get as many people here as possible. Um, you know, Dustin kind of did a shameful plug for his last place finish. And I just want to say that 
I had this team yesterday that was, I mean, really good. And um, I, I, I'm going to show them. It, Reese, would you stand up? This is like sealed the deal handskin right here. And then my wife. Yeah, stand up. Okay, this was, this was my team, and we beat Dustin's team by eight strokes. So we didn't finish first, but we had a lot of fun beating him. And, 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 and here, here, I don't brag very much. Well, I guess I brag sometimes. Okay, maybe more than I should. But here's the deal. The only reason I bring this up is for one reason, because he said uh, he's been bugging me all week. He said, man, if we win... Can, can, can I put it in the bulletin? I said, listen, dude, if you win, I will announce it and present your trophy to you on Sunday. And so they finished last again, so I thought it was only... Oh, and there's Reese's father, who was also on that team, so <laughs> throw him under the bus as well. We had a great time, and uh, so we, we, we did our thing, and it was good. Hey, you know, be careful what you preach on. I got to be really be careful, because I... Preached last Sunday, you know, I'm losing my keys. Trina Bay, you know. Um, uh, this, after, the last Sunday, somewhere between here and getting home, I lost my money clip. Now, fortunately, there was no money in it. <laughs> but it had my cards and my license and a bunch of other stuff. And uh, I just, I, Trina! And she didn't come through for me this time. But uh, so if you find it, would you make sure you get it back to me? And if you stole it, shame on you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it was kind of ironic that uh, just after getting done um, with my keys, now it's my stuff. Um, t- turn, to, turn to the book of Genesis, would you? Genesis chapter 3. Sometime, maybe today, tomorrow, on the top of your notes there, it says the questions about what, what's your favorite thought about your family? What's your favorite family thought? And then what is your most difficult family thought? Uh, Because these are important. Uh, A lot of times they play out at points in our life. Most of my family memories with my immediate family are not good. Now, don't feel sorry for me. I'm just telling you that because that's the way I grew up. Now, if, I, if you said, tell me about your grandpa, your grandpa and grandma, every thought that I have of them was sublime and wonderful. But these other things, when you really think about these things, they have a tendency to, uh, they can kind of color uh, your future and your world. In any life endeavor, here's what I know, uh, how you finish is most important. But when it comes to family, the start that you get is also very critical. And then what you do with that start as you go through life and begin to understand it is very important. Because it's possible, and, and hear me, I think if you've been here a while, you know me. I'm not, uh, I don't want to pile on. I don't want to sound critical of anybody's family or growing up. Or I don't want you to sound like I'm critical of you if you struggle with some of these things. I'm not, but I, I believe that our, our, our family, what happens in those early years and throughout our family is so critical about where we end up. And if you don't identify those things, you can become a victim instead of a victor in your life. It's always difficult to step into a series like this because so many in this room have probably experienced things like divorce, an affair, 
uh, a rebellious child, a sick child, poor parenting, negative parenting, abuse, neglect, abandonment. Fill in the issue that maybe you think or believe or know that you've experienced. I am not here to open old wounds or to lay a guilt trip where God has already forgiven and begin to restore. I do not believe, I believe in counseling. I think some therapy is good. So don't, I'm going to show you a clip a little in a little bit that makes it sound like maybe I don't think it's good. I think it's good if it does the right things in the right ways. And in this series, I am not here, especially today. Uh, it's going to get more positive to, to, after today. But I, I, I'm not here to dig up stuff. I don't believe in doing roto-rooter jobs. I believe that you, you, you evaluate your family. You evaluate where you are. You've heard me use the term hundreds of times. You've got to connect the dots, though. Because if you don't, a lot of people are unable to connect the dots to their family and they don't see how it affects them now and maybe their family now. And so that's critical. One of the words you could use for that would be simply self-awareness. And, and, and it's possible that some of you today, you're in a fragile family situation. Oh, nobody knows it because we come together, we're smiling and everything looks good and we feel like we're doing well. But you know that your situation is somewhat precarious. And you're hoping, you're looking for some hope somewhere in some way. And what I want you to not forget through this whole thing, that the power of the resurrection that we celebrated seven days ago is still available for you, for your life, for your family, for your marriage. Paul said this, I want to know the power of Christ in his resurrection. And if God can raise his son from the dead, can I just, I just want to say, and you, you need to... Write this down or imprint it. God can raise and resurrect whatever it is you're facing in your situation. But as I get into that, that's not even the real issue. And we'll talk about that probably in just a little bit. And I'm aware of any time I talk to family, when I talk about family and marriage, and that there's probably anywhere from 10 to 20% of the people in here that are single. And so it's really easy now for a lot of singles to go, okay, checking out. I think I'll go visit somewhere else for the next three or four or five weeks. And that's fine. But here's what I want you to know, that I, I think that whatever I talk about in this next season, especially today, really for the whole time, it is relationally based, which means this. Just about any relation you face, you experience, you're engaged in, it will fit whether you're married, whether you're a parent, or whether you're just friends. Or here's the critical one, if you have a desire to get married at some point and you're single, I believe all of this will help you prepare for that. Because ultimately, it's what we do a lot of times on the front end, and we understand about ourselves on the front end of a marriage and family relationships that will help us get through whatever it is that we face. So let's pick it up in Genesis chapter 3. This is the first marriage, the first family, the first problems, the first, the first quarrel, and really the brokenness of all of us in our lives that causes all the problems that we face. Chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Now the serpent, speaking of the devil, was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord had made. He wasn't a wild animal. He was an angelic being that God created. Uh, you can read about it in Isaiah chapter 14, where the fall of Satan came. He, was, he is not God's equal. 
It's not like the uh, hero-anti-hero thing. Uh, the, the, the equal, it's just who's going to win the battle. The battle's already been won. Satan is created by God. He is subject to God. But in all of this, it's interesting because God has given him so much freedom. We see in Ephesians chapter 6 that he's called the power and the principalities of the air. We see Jesus in Matthew 4 and Luke chapter 4 when he's tempted by him. What does he say? He says, listen, I'm not going to take your, I'm not going to take what you're offering me now. He doesn't say you can't give it to me. He just says, I'm not taking it because I'm going to get it later. So Jesus even acknowledged and understood this place that God has given him. So the, the enemy of your soul, he says to the woman Eve, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? No, he didn't say that. The woman said to the serpent, uh, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you are not to eat it or touch it or you will now, God didn't say don't touch it. He just said don't eat from it or you will die. Well, the serpent says, no, you'll not die. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So it really begins to appeal to all of her senses, her hunger, her sight, as well as her desire to grow in wisdom and to become really more like God. See, we kind of beat up on Eve, you know, that woman. And all she was trying to do is to become more like God, but she fell and bought into the bait of a lie. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. And then she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. See, truthfully, it was the man that was really supposed to be leading her because God talked to Adam and said, you don't eat from it. So he should have been the one who said, honey, no, we're not going there. That's not what we're going to do. Now, he's not responsible, but there's responsibility that should be taken. And one of the things I'm going to talk about today is responsibility. That there's this sense of every one of us has to take responsibility for our lives, regardless of what has happened. Well, it says, then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. First time, and however long they were around, that they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, and they made loincloths for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the same time of the evening or at the time of the evening breeze. Man, can you imagine that? We're talking about the Garden of Eden, this perfect place. And just think about it. You're walking around and there's this nice breeze and you're just naked. You know, <laughs> forget it. But um, <laughs> no, I mean, I'm talking about, you know, don't get weird on me. I'm, I'm just thinking... Man, how perfect could it be? Whew. And they mess it up. They've got these fig leaves on now, so God calls to the man. Notice how he calls to the man. He doesn't blame the woman. He says, where are you? Now, he knows where they are. He's God. He's omniscient. He knows everything. But he says to him, where are you? And he's asking it for their lives because they really don't know where they are because they're 
hiding. He says, well, when I heard you in the garden, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I ran. I didn't want you to see me. Then God asked him, well, who told you you were naked? I mean, this is new. Who told you that? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And then the man replied, well, the woman that you gave me. And all the ladies said, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. So the Lord God asked the woman, what is it you have done? And the woman said, well, it was that serpent. He deceived me, and I ate. Well, there you begin to see a lot of the dynamics that we face today. And I want to just give you a couple of quick family truths. Every family has problems. Someone told me the last service, they said, don't ever forget that, that very few function, families are really functional. Uh, the, every family has dysfunction in it. It just depends on the degrees. And I think that's really true. Every family has certain points of dysfunction. And every family, because of that, is going to have some troubles. They face struggles, issues. Jesus said it this way, that you live in this world, you're going to have troubles and tribulations. So it started happening in the very beginning. Secondly, not all families respond to issues and problems in the same way. The Chinese symbol for crisis also means opportunity. So you can have a family that sees a crisis, they're faced with the crisis, and they're going to go, let's gather around. We're going to make this our greatest opportunity. And there's other families that see a crisis, and they're going to begin to splinter and say, and they're going to do what Adam and Eve did. They're going to begin to point fingers. Well, if you didn't do this, if you were this way, if I wasn't that way, blah, 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 blah. So not all families respond the same way to problems. Author Donald Hughes said this, in churches, people have a superstitious view of what Christianity or that Christianity will keep them from all the problems of life and in families. But they are subject to the same problems as everyone else. And part of the reason is because they lack strong relationship skills. Just being a Christ follower is not a rabbit's foot. And hear me, loved ones, don't a lot of us think that? If I follow Jesus, he's going to take care of all my problems. If I follow Jesus, everything's going to go good. If I put a little cash in the basket, if I show up to Creekside on Sunday morning, maybe if I really stretch out and go to a small group, guess what? Oh, man, God, he's going to bless me, and I'm not going to have all the problems that all these other people have. That is a lie from the deceiver. Because we all have struggles, we all have issues. Hopefully we serve God in a way that those are diminishing and we begin to see him as the one that's going to give us a guided tour through everything that we face. There's no guarantees. Christians are simply called to be distinctive from the world and to live on the basis of what God says. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock versus the unwise man who didn't do what God said, and he built his house like it was on the sand. Let me give you some biblical examples, because we have a tendency to begin to look. Hey, students, I'm going to need you. Would you guys sit down, please? Or go out, one of the two, please? Okay. Okay, then you'll need to stay out, please. 
Okay? Thank you. Um, oh, biblical examples. We forget, we, we kind of varnish the Bible. And we begin to look at it and we go, wow, everything's perfect there because, well, it's the Bible. But we forget about from the very beginning, Adam and Eve, they sinned, they went against God's way. And then they had, just the next chapter, they had two boys, Cain and Abel. And what happens? I mean, within the first three verses, we see that one brings, we see that Abel brings this wonderful sacrifice to God. Animal sacrifice that really was pre-seen or uh, we see it early on in Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, when God gives a sacrifice, takes the skin to be able to clothe Adam and Eve with it. So you have the one son who brings the nice sacrifice, the other son says, I think I'm going to do this my own way. I'm kind of, a, kind of a vegetarian guy. So he brings vegetables and crops to God. And God says, I'm sorry, that's not acceptable. That's not what I asked for. So what does he do? It says that he got depressed. His face was down. His countenance was downtrodden. Then he gets mad. Because usually depression is based in anger, so he gets mad. And what does he do? He goes out and he kills his brother. So we see very quickly after the fall of man of Adam and Eve, who walked with God, had the perfect environment, had the perfect opportunity to know God better than anybody else, they choose their own way. Then their kids do this crazy thing. And we see the first murder. If there's any family that was as close to perfection as any, it was this family. Then we begin to study Isaac, who had a son, Esau and Jacob. Isaac, the dad, favored Esau. The mother, Rebekah, favored Jacob. And we got some serious deception that went place here, that took place in this family. People were playing, parents were playing favorites with their kids. They were deceiving And we begin to see that then begin to happen in the next generation. Favoritism continued with Jacob and Rachel. Joseph was their favorite son. Remember, we spent a number of weeks talking about the relationship that he had with his brothers. His brothers hated him, literally wanted to kill him. And by the end of the story, Joseph, because he's so godly, brings the family back together. Someone said this, you know, we got to put the fun back in dysfunction. Can I tell you something? You can never put the fun back in dysfunction. It's always going to be there. And what the key is to most dysfunctional families and things that we deal with is because of our origins. It's because of our our fall. And here's the big deal, is the problem that it continues is because most people or many people are a little bit unwilling to look at it and go, here's what I'm dealing with or here's what I bring from my past that's causing problems here in the present. Never forget this, people aren't perfect. We're all, at differing degrees, broken. Now, we don't like to hear that because we're Americans. We have everything, don't we? We have access to everything. We can become whatever we want. But Adam and Eve were put in the garden where they had the perfect environment. They had the closest relationship with God. And yet, they couldn't maintain it. They couldn't do it. They chose to go their own way, their own direction, and choose the tree of knowledge to eat the fruit so they'd understand good and evil. And God said, as soon as you do that, you will surely 
die. Here's the great thing about God that is also one of the more difficult things is that we see that he loves you and me and everybody so much that he gives us this incredible freedom to choose life or to choose death. So they look at it and they realize, whoo-hoo, this looks good. I'm sure this will taste good. So they're tempted to do things their own way. What's the results? Well, the first thing is that they become alienated. They were broken. They become separated from God and from each other. And we begin to see these things that begin to take place. Soon after, one of their sons kills another son. God's plan for what he wanted in marriage is that it would be a place of healing, not a place of brokenness. So what do they do? The first thing they do is they hide. Or for some today, it's kind of like running. They hid from God. They ran from God trying to hide. God comes walking through the the garden and he comes to them. He doesn't come as an arresting cop. What does he do? He comes as a gracious father that says, hey, where are you? Do you know where you are? I, I know you've messed up, but I want to relate to you on the basis of a good, good father. So he tries to pull them back and invite them back into relationship. And he begins to do the things that will rebuild that. But then we see they're hiding from themselves and from each other. And they're now beginning to build this house that's built out of fear and deception and hiding instead of a house of love. And I think that's what happens with so many families today. They begin to move on the basis of that. So what do they do? Well, the first thing is they blamed. We see here in the scripture the first marital squabble when hiding doesn't work, when we begin to get exposed, what do we want to do? We want to blame. (laughs) Eve blames the devil. Well, you know, God, the devil came and he tempted me. That's the problem. And then God goes to Adam and he says, well, how come this happened? And he goes, it's the woman you gave me. And then he kind of goes, yeah, it's the woman you gave me. It's, she's part of the problem. But ultimately, what is he saying? God, you're the deal. You're the problem. I mean, just this perfect God, he's going to get blamed for his decision. Talk about major deception in a man's life. As a result, their relationship and their relationships are now based on self-protection and hiding and defensiveness. No longer love. People aren't perfect, are they? Have you ever been affected by somebody? It's because we're not perfect. Have you ever affected somebody in a negative way? It's because you're not perfect. Families aren't perfect. When imperfect people come together and get involved, there are going to be imperfect families. I believe it was Chuck Sundahl who said the home and family is the boot camp for life. It's a place for spiritual development. It's a place where you develop your relational muscles to prepare you to fight the coming battles in life. A a family calls out of us our selfless, I mean our selfishness. It calls out to us to be selfless. It's where we learn to develop tolerance and patience and forgiveness and we sacrifice for the people around us. That's what marriage and family does. It's to help develop and to shake our, shape our character, not just get through life. But here's the problem. If you have four people, three people, five people, ultimately one or two, or if people are selfish and they can't have this selfless part come out and developed, that's when you're going to begin to have problems. 
If people are, have this inability to, to have enough self-awareness to identify the things in their own life, uh, the family's going to have a lot of difficulties. That's why Socrates advice. He says, by all means, get married and have a family. If you get a good one, you'll be happy. If you'll have a bad one, you'll be a philosopher like me. Family will help to shape and develop our character, but most important, it's going to reveal to you your own flaws. Can I say this, that it will begin to bring humility to your life if you allow it to. When you live every day with the same people, you know what? You can't fool them. They see you for who you really are, who you're not. You can fudge some of the people, but you can't fudge all the people, especially those that are close to you. And that's when you begin to see yourself as you really are. See, we can be broken and hurt by others. I am not in any way here, friends, attempting to perpetuate the blame game with that statement. But it is true that we can be hurt by others. The key is, what are you going to do with what that perceived hurt is? Because as you're going to see in a few minutes, there's going to be another clip from this TV show where you're going to see three kids that give a totally different perspective on how they saw their home life. And you can see it totally different from your siblings or your kids, if you have a number of kids, they can see it totally different than each other. Who's right? Who's wrong? And sometimes you just have to be able to go, you know what, the issue maybe not, may not be them, it's myself. Now I say that because I don't want to diminish these other issues because these are biggies. And these are the things that you have to fight through. But sometimes we come out of families, like if you watch this show, you're going to find it's a great family. Oh, they got their stuff. But everybody wants to blame. Some of you maybe have experienced some emotional abuse. Maybe you were blamed emotionally for things that took place in your family. Maybe you were told you were stupid, fat, ugly, skinny, bad, never amounted to anything. I had a friend whose grandfather talked to his dad. His grandfather always talked him down. He had this nickname for him. He called him the bug-eyed bastard. So as, as, as my friend's dad was growing up, that's all he ever heard. You're, you're, you're this. You're this bug-eyed thing. You're never going to amount to anything, you bug-eyed. You're never going to be anything, you bug-eyed. And what that began to do is to, to birth this anger in this young boy. And then it began to birth his drivenness. So all he wanted to do is the rest of his life prove his dad wrong. Now here's the sad part, is that he had kids. He was a pastor. He became a pastor. He became a, a, a major player in our denomination, a great man. Uh, he actually helped Trina and I with our first adoption. But his sons, he struggled relating to his sons because of how his father related to him. See, some of us have had to deal with emotional abuse. Some of us maybe physical abuse, uh, being hit or being threatened. Some of us sexual abuse, being touched inappropriately, or sexual innuendo thrown our way by family members, thrown in our directions growing up, but nobody stood up and said that's inappropriate. It just kind of, <laughs> that's funny. And you've carried that. Maybe it's spiritual abuse. 
You've been in a home, you go to church and you hear about the love of God and and how God is, but at home, he's this tyrannical person that's just waiting to catch you doing something wrong. Don't do that, God's gonna get you. It's a form of spiritual abuse. We take that with us into our later years. Emotional abandonment. You didn't get the verbal kudos, you didn't get the I love you's, the attaboys, girl. You didn't get any of those messages from the parents around you that were the one that could have, if anything, spoke into your life, spoke into your heart, spoke into your thinking that you're my boy. You're my girl. And so there's this emotional abandonment. There's physical abandonment. You didn't get the physical hugs. You didn't get those things that you were desperately needed. The presence of your parents. And so what does that do? At some point in your life, you're probably going to begin to feel like, I wasn't worth it. I was rejected. I was abandoned. You begin to have this distrust of people. I told you so many stories about my, I can't remember if I told you this, but because I had my, I never met my biological mother. I know I've told you that, but never met my biological mother. She left my dad before uh, I was two. So I never knew her. And my dad remarried and told you the story recently about when she left and she kind of put me on the spot, who are you going to go with? See, I didn't think that really bothered me, all of those things. Never thought about it, never dealt with it. But there came a point in my marriage where I started doing some things to Trina. They, they weren't really, they weren't like malicious. They were just things that she goes, what's wrong with you? Don't you love me? I mean, I love you a lot. But I began to realize what I was doing is I was pushing her away. I wanted her to prove to me that she would be the first woman of significance that would stay in my life because of abandonment. Everybody else, the two key women in my life, left me. What are you going to do? And it's not unusual for her to this day to look at me and go, I'm not leaving, man. But some of you have felt that. Some of you have been hurt by and broken by events. People around you constantly fighting, screaming, and divorce. And you say, well, it hasn't affected me. You know, I hope not. But if you're not aware, loved ones, of those things, and again, please, I'm not doing a Roto-Rooter job. I don't believe in, you're going to see this therapy scene here in just a second. I don't believe that that's necessarily a good way to do things. It might be for some. But when somebody gets the brunt of the blame, oh boy, I just don't think that's right. But I do believe that if you don't understand the things that are systemic to your actions and there's enough self-awareness, you will drag that into your family life. Would you watch this? It's a little bit long, but would you catch it for a moment, please? Rebecca, do you have an opinion about your husband's alcoholism? Did you ever talk to your... Rebecca, do you have an opinion about your husband's alcoholism? Did you ever talk to your children about their father being an addict? Did you ever warn them that they would have the gene?
Uh, my, my children lost their father when they were 17. They didn't have their father at their high school graduation. Randall didn't have his father when his children were born. Kate will not have her father at her wedding. So they had 17 years of memories, and that's it. There won't be any new ones for the rest of their lives. So, no, no, I did not sit them down and color their memories of their father by talking about the one part of him that wasn't perfect. And you really do a disservice by calling my husband an addict because he was so much more than that. Thank you. It's interesting that you bring up examples of Kate and Randall, but not Kevin. What? Kate not having her father at her wedding and Randall not having his father when his children were born. Yes, because those were just the first two examples that came to my mind. But don't you find it interesting that you have specific examples for your other children, but not Kevin? I don't. I don't find it interesting. I find it typical, to be honest with you. I mean, this is what we talk enough, about. Mom, dude, you enough. Never... You don't have to lay into her. Okay, here we go. Yeah, here we go is right. Look, I, I've tried to empathize with you, Kevin. I really have. Okay, I've held my tongue as your rich, spoiled got sent to this four seasons for almost killing my daughter when most anybody else would have got sent to jail. I've held my tongue while you've whined about your childhood. A childhood which I was there for, by the way, which I bore witness to. Your football tosses on the lawn with dad. Your tummy rubs from mom when you had a fever. See, Barbara may not have been there, but I was there. So don't you dare try to pull that same lame-ass piece of wool over my eyes, bro, okay? I've held my tongue, but I will not hold my tongue while you go after our mother for not parenting. I'm not anymore. going after our mother, Randall. Why do you always twist things around He's like that? He's not, not twisting anything, Kevin. He's simply defending me. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, Mom. You're right. I'm sorry. Why don't you take his side? Because that's- I am not taking anybody's side. You want to talk about your tortured childhood? Huh? You want to compare baggage? Randall, let's Randall, do that. No, I would never compare my tortured Kevin. childhood with yours, Randall, because I wasn't abandoned or adopted no. or I didn't have anxiety or I'm not a genius. No, you're Kevin. definitely not that, Kevin. You know what else you're not? You're not an addict, okay? The only thing that you're addicted to is attention. I mean, what happened, Kev? Your movie wrapped, you weren't rolling with Sly and Ron Howard anymore. Nobody was looking at you. So you had to get us all up here. All eyes on you. Q drug problem. Okay. Okay, Kev. <sighs> okay, guys. No, you know so, what? I, I just, I'm, I want to know your thoughts on this, Randall. Why do you think your daughter was hiding in my car? Why do you think your daughter was hiding in my car. Have you ever thought about that? What about it? She was avoiding the Randall Show. Don't you dare No, no, talk welcome to the Randall man. Show, ladies Kevin, and gentlemen. Kevin. Adopted by white people, two dads. Does it get any more interesting than that? Well, not for Randall. So you, you move your dying father into your home without thinking about what your wife or what your kids think of that. And then you bring some, some strange girl into the house after he dies, right? And the only person sitting there that no one's paying attention to is your daughter, Tess. You know what, I'm done, man. No, Randall, I'm Randall, done. Thank Randall. you, Randall, out the door. Cue mom chasing her favorite son. This is no. such a predictable movie. You are so predictable. You raise your voice hey, to her hey, one more hey. time. All your children you love equally, right? Yes. That's what you keep saying. Do you love yeah, all I'm my sure children you, the same? Wouldn't it feel refreshing, though, just to right here in this forum, because this is where you do that kind of stuff, to just tell everyone the truth, which is that you love Randall the most. Oh, He's your favorite, right? that's not true, 
Kevin. It's not true. That's absolutely it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah, okay, it's ridiculous. Say name me one thing that you and I have. One thing that you and I have that is special, that is just you and me. Not, not, not all of us. Not me and Randall. Not me and Kate. Kevin, can you stop? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm flustered, and it's not kind of you. Well, what just you're admit doing. that you love Randall more. We can stop pretending to be. No, this he was just family. easier. He was easier, and he didn't recoil when I touched him, and he wasn't some sullen teenager who was angry at me for no reason, and he didn't. <laughs> Abandoned me and move away after his father died. See, I show you that because I think you see the different perspectives that we can get in our families. Everybody can grow up in the same place, but we never see it the same way. And that can affect us because the reason they're there is because I think that there's I'm not a therapist, but there's almost this subtle insinuation that Kevin's drug issue and addiction is due to his family situation and how he grew up. I'm not really convinced of that. I believe it can affect him, but every one of us, loved one, as we get older, we have to be able to take and understand who we are, have enough self-awareness to make the decisions to not do what has been done for so much of our lives is to point and to blame. Have you ever been in a situation, there's so many times where we think, oh, this thing's holding me back, or this bondage is hurting me, or this is what's keeping me from being what I could become, or this person is keeping me from what I can become. And we begin to think like that. And I believe all of those things affect us. I know my background has affected me and continues to affect me today. But the key is, what will I do with it? The key is, what will you do with it? Here's what I, I understand, is that Jesus did not come to free me from my past. But he will. He didn't come to free me from those things that oppress me, but he will. He didn't come to free me from the difficulties and struggles that I have, but he will. Remember when Jesus died? Why did the people reject him at the very end? It's because of this. They thought he was coming as a conquering hero, that they were going to remove the oppressive Rome. He was going to remove all the oppression of the years that had built up on, the, on God's people. And then he shocks them. He does a U-turn. He does an about face. And he says, I'm not coming to remove Rome. You know what he's doing? He says, I'm coming to establish God's kingdom in you. Luke 17, 21, look for the kingdom of God. It's not observed. It's not established. It's within. Well, what do you mean? Well, see, we want God to take care of all of our stuff. Take care of this, Lord. Take care of that. And you know what God's saying? I'm not going to. Why not? Because here's what he's saying. I want to take care of it. You. See, here's where we get into our trouble. 
God, I want you to take care of my spouse. God, I want you to take care of my kids. God, I want you to take care of my family. Family, And God's saying, no, 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 that's not the issue. And this is why the self-awareness has to come in from our family of origins that we begin to understand some of the ways that we operate and live and think and do the things that we do because God says, here's the thing. I want to do this and fix you. Now, I know that's not real popular. That's probably going to make some of us just a little kind of fend some of us. kind of does me. We don't want to hear that because we, it's easier, isn't it, to think it's everyone else. It's easier to think it's that woman, it's that man, it's those kids, it's my job, it's my boss, it's this, it's that. Everything and everyone else is the issue. And that's what Adam and Eve did. And that's what people have done since then. We run and we hide. We as humans follow the same pattern ever since when the problems come, when life issues come. We want to blame. We want to skirt responsibility. And we want God to take care of all the oppressive things. And he says, no, no, no. I want to establish my kingdom in you. He would say, in great love, I can't change what happened to you back there. I can't remove the scars. I can't remove the pain. And that's why when Jesus, after the resurrection, what does he do? He walks into the upper room. He appears, and he walks over to his followers who were doubting and wondering, is he really going to come back? He shows up, and he goes, what? Look at my scars. Look at my scars. Out of my greatest pain comes your greatest healing. But you will never be healed if you don't believe and you don't follow and you don't allow me to work in you. Because, see, we want to run, we want to hide, we want to blame. And then when that all happens and then people start moving away from us or spouses start to move away from us or kids start to move away from us, we'll go find other people. And then pretty soon, guess what? The same thing keeps happening. And then we don't have the awareness to go, God, what do you want to do with me? Sometimes we don't think, well, let me see, this is the third, fourth, fifth time this has happened. Man, what is the common denominator? Me. God goes, you want to fix it? You want to fix them? You want to fix it? But I want to make this about you. Not in some kind of you're bad, I'm right, you're wrong, but I want to heal you. Hiders and runners always blame people and circumstances, families, spouses. And hear me, I know that there's, you know, I know some of you have been hurt greatly, so please, you gotta, you got to generalize with me a little bit. But regardless of what has happened, God says, ultimately, I want to work with you because I can't change what has happened. And people that get, hurt, get healed are the ones that can respond to that. 
we have a tendency to grab a mirror, pretend this is a mirror. You know what we do with the mirror? We open it up and we look at ourselves and we might get a glimpse of this is wrong. And so what do we do? We'll kind of start trying to fix the image. We'll paint the image. We'll clean up the image instead of closing the mirror. And as God says, don't, don't look at yourself and walk away on the basis of what I say about you. Hear what I say because that's where your healing will come. But we want to change the image instead of the person. And God says, I want to work on the person. God knows you. God knows me. And see, if he, he knows that if he takes your life and he just puts this new thing around you and takes things away from you and changes the people and circumstances around you, this is what he knows. What you will do is take you and you'll feel like everything is new, but you'll still be the same old you and you'll go to another place or circumstance and you will have the same problems because you are still there. Now, this is counseling. Some of the reasons we never move beyond because we just think Jesus is going to zap something and take care of it when he says, you're the it that I want to walk in. It's so easy to begin to believe the best way is to protect ourselves, hide, run, blame everybody else. Here's what we need. We need truth. Here's the truth. We have entered into a broken world. We are broken people. By that I mean we're sinful. All of us have differing degrees of brokenness. Romans 5.12 says that sin entered through one man. All have sinned, but life has entered through Jesus Christ. We basically are part of Adam and Eve's failure because we failed ourselves. So what do we do? We understand that truth. Secondly, then we take responsibility for our lives. I was talking with this young man. He was 23 recently. Bright, articulate, smart. Has this incredible capacity to be able to see most, most things from about a 35 or 40 year old perspective. He just experienced some, some significant family trauma. He's got three siblings. What's interesting is, is that the two middle siblings are the ones to go, wow, we, this is perfect, this was good, this was great. The youngest one, the fourth child, goes, ah, I'm not so sure about it. I got some questions. He's the one, the firstborn, that said, no way, this is wrong, I am not going to change toward it, and I can't, I, just, I can't accept it. And as we're talking and he's going on and on, I said, listen, friend, first time I'd met him, I spent three hours with him. And I said, if you, this is what I said. I wrote it down because I wanted to give it to him so he would know. I said, if you don't face and deal with your past, and I was specific about the situation in his family, you will drag that into your present and it will be the anchor that holds you back from your future. And see, what all of us have to know is that God understands your brokenness. God understands the pain that every one of us in this room has faced in our families. And he says, I'm the one that can heal it. But I really can't heal it until you acknowledge any part of it that you have. God spoke to the children of Israel in the book of Jeremiah. 
They were wayward. They were running from him. He said to them, you know, I got a concern. You've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and you've dug your own cisterns that cannot hold water. He says, you tried to make wells so that you can drink of the water that you need. But he's saying is they're leaky, they're broken, and they're not going to hold the water that you need. But I love it. You know what? God doesn't hold it against them. He doesn't condemn them. He continues to reach out to them and to bring them in. And he says, I want to restore you. I want to be the one that can take care of your thirst. I fly a lot. Do you fly? If you fly, you know this. You know the drill. You're sitting there and they're doing their announcements. What do they say? If you're traveling with the young ones today, if we lose cabin pressure at about 10,000 feet, you're going to have these little masks that come down. Put yours on first before you help somebody that's traveling with you. Why is that? Well, because you really can't help somebody else until you are helping yourself. Wherever we're broken, loved ones, and I'm not talking, listen, some of you have got great families and you celebrate that. But if we're having trouble, the reason the first place we got to look is just our origins and our past and what we're dragging in to the present. And ultimately, that's going to cause us to hide and to blame. But some of that great past in your past, you can hang on to it or you can do like Jesus said and said, you know what, the scars of my past are going to be the greatest place of my healing and I'm going to allow Jesus to use it for that. Uh, my hope is that every one of us will give God the opportunity if you're in any way have to deal with any of that past stuff. Not all of us here do, so don't go beat me up. But if you do, acknowledge it. Don't be like the guy who runs into the doctor's office. He's got a compound fracture. He goes, Doc, I think I broke my arm. Can I get it x-rayed? Oh, yeah, we're going to x-ray it because that's broken. We're going to have to reset it. So the doctor gives him the x-ray. He gets the x-ray. He pins it up on that light board, and he starts to talk to him about it. The guy, goes, the guy looks at it and goes, oh, great, I can see it's broke. Thanks, Doc. Grabs the x-ray, and he runs out. I'll fix it myself. And he had to make the decision to do that, but ultimately we need a doctor to fix some of our stuff. Dr. Jesus, to come and to bring healing and wholeness and health. The greatest breakthrough I ever had, two breakthroughs that I've had in my past, is when I was 32, and again, I told you the story. I won't tell it again, but I just said, God, I, he, God said to me, you treat your father like you want him to treat you, because he never did. And the day that I started doing that, it began to change me. I didn't blame my dad for who he was. I said, I'm going to treat my dad for who I want him to be. He died six months later. When he died, I got no regrets. None. And the day that Trina looked me into the eye and said, I'm not leaving for the hundredth time, and I don't know what time it was, but I finally believed it, changed me but I had to acknowledge and connect the dots. 
why did I do what I did?